Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizard on the Twitters. And I'm Ben T. Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. Good Lord, Ben. We've been doing this 91 episodes now. Can you believe it? There, that means there's only nine weeks, 10 if we take a Christmas break, until cake. Yes. Um, we're, we've, we haven't made a thing about this yet, but that's because we were kind of waiting for this moment. Um, I've been making a thing about it. Well, yes, but not on the podcast. A little bit. A little bit, but not enough because we, we need to make it clear to people that we are about to hit 100 episodes, which is a huge landmark. I think we can all agree for any podcast ever. And when that sort of thing happens, um, certain podcast hosts should be sent cake. Yeah, and I mean, I know what you guys are thinking. You know, we've talked about the cake and we're talking about it on a podcast cast. So obviously somebody else is going to send us a cake. Yeah. Don't think like that. Think you're the one who needs to send us a cake because if we have too many cakes, that's not a problem. But if we somehow end up with no cakes, think of how devastated the Liz would be. Mm-hmm. I am looking at Liz's face right now and even just thinking about the possibility of not having cake, I can't look anymore. It's so sad. I feel like I just watched an episode of The Leftovers except without the excitement afterwards. So please just you know step up. Send us cake. We like chocolate, red velvet, mint chocolate chip. What else do you like, Liz? I mean, I'm really actually a, a red velvet d- devotee. I'm pro vel- red velvet. No, I'm so, okay with that. Yeah, I mean, so we'll, don't worry. We'll provide don't you. Don't send us any of that carrot bullshit. I don't want any carrot cake. I don't want any healthy cake options. If you send us two cakes and one's carrot, fine. Otherwise, no. Actually, fun fact about carrot cake, it actually contains more calories than a lot of cakes. Oh, man, that makes it doubly not worth it, though. Yeah. Um, but point is, we'll be ha- we'll be dropping some helpful reminders uh, in the next few weeks. <laughs> Nine weeks. <laughs> Nine weeks. Eight episodes of just us saying cake, 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 cake. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston and cake, 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 cake. I never even saw that. I did. It's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I try to watch everything that uh, Mrs. Thoreau is in. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, as she is best known in the world. In my world. That's oh. not fair. I'm a Friends fan. I grew up on it. They're yeah. Equal. There you go. There you go. Okay. Here's the point of today's podcast. As you listen to this on Monday, you are two days away from apparently, allegedly, experiencing a television event that is so seismic and so immense that if you miss it, you will feel like such a loser. This is what Ben keeps telling me. Yeah, you will. You and all will. You all look back on that day with such regret. You'll think of it as though you missed your child being born or you were late for your own wedding and that cost you your wife. It is that devastating of a day if you miss it. Um, The fact is you probably don't know what we're talking about and that's because there's a good chance, a decent chance, and feel free to bear us out with the numbers. There's a decent chance that if you're listening to this podcast, if you're just a human being on the planet, you have not watched Sundance, Sundance TV's original series, Rectify. Their first original series. Their first original series, and now coming to a close, a gentle, uh, deliberate close with season four. Apparently, it's really good, too. Like, how do you know? Um, Sonia Soraya, the variety critic, put it put the finale on her list of best episodes of the year. Pretty high, too. Did you get a screener of the finale? I've got it. I haven't watched it yet. I'm, I'm savoring a little bit. Gotcha. Well, the point is... It's a show that's beloved by critics, but there are also other critics who haven't watched it. And I'm tra- I am I am sad to report one of those people is me. I, uh, 
I'd make the argument that there's no critics who haven't watched it. I think you, if you haven't watched it, then you're not really a critic. That's kind of Zing, Liz. First blow. Thrown to the body. She's spinning. She's on the ropes. She's getting back up. Oh, she seems super agitated, you guys. But here we go. It's begun. Yeah. Basically, this is a podcast where Ben is going to yell at me for not having watched Rectify in time to catch up with the series finale this Wednesday. And I'm going to make the case that he's never properly convinced me beyond saying it's the best show on television, which a lot of people say about a lot of shows. He's never given no. me real specifics. No, not, not, not a lot of shows. There's like five. But more to the point, and, and to try to broaden this out in case after just hearing <laughs> my, my initial attack upon Liz, you're like, oh, man, this isn't for me. Uh, we're also going to deal with this from the perspective. Like, I'm going to try to craft my argument from the perspective that you probably have Rectify sitting in your Netflix queue yes. right now. You've I do. Had I it. literally do. You all have probably had it sitting there for quite some time and just never clicked it because you're not in the mood or it just hasn't, you know, felt like a priority. And right now is your priority. You have got a couple of days to catch up. You've got a couple of days to get into it. And I promise if you do get hooked, you will finish out the season. And that's all you need to do. So anyway, but we're going to try to frame this under the perspective of, this is a good option for you to binge. There are other options for you to binge, but you need to watch Rectify. Now, I want to hear you describe like a two or three things that you think will hook people on this show. I think instantly, the first thing that will hook you about this show, and the most people, is Abigail Spencer. Okay. Abigail Spencer is a national treasure. Yes. If you have any desire for proof of this, please find the gif that I've created of her at the Emmys where she does a little song and dance next to Robbie Malik. Like, she's got a lot of motions, and she's she's jiving and, and juking and dancing, and, and she looks – she's just adorable. And, yeah. and more than that, like, there's a personality and a charm that she has in everything that she does. And it always transcends across the screen. It's always bigger than you could possibly imagine. And yet on Rectify, she's playing a woman who is, you know, fairly subdued. She's lived a lot of her life in which Daniel Holden, her brother, was sent to prison and she was fighting to try to get him out, try to get him, you know, free from these charges and, and, and you know, the conviction overturned. And when it's even presented to her at the beginning of the season, that's not a spoiler, obviously. Um, it's, it's not going to fix everything. There's still repair to be done. There's still damage to overcome. There's still purpose to be found in her own life. And that's a really exciting thing to find. And it's something that everybody can identify with, uh, especially when you're watching Abigail Spencer do it. Yeah, I mean, the thing, I, I'm very aware of Abigail Spencer. I'm very fond of her work. Um, the fact the fact is that she both, and within, I'm probably sure, like the same year span, did what I am told is beautiful, dramatic work on Rectify, and then also appeared in the um, d digital series Burning Love, uh, created by Ken, uh, Ken uh, oh gosh, Ken Marino, Ken and and I forget the name of his wife, Erica something. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but it's created by the two of them, and she basically plays a fake bachelorette contestant, and it is really funny, and she is very funny in it, and it is one of those annoying things where it's like, you should not be both very, very funny and very, very good at drama. Yes. Erika Yahama. That's not who I was thinking of. Yeah. You didn't know they were... My bad. Oh, who... okay. Point is, Abigail Spencer, national treasure, totally agree, but I yes. need another thing. All right. Well, I'm only going to humor you in this sense because 
I don't think anybody should need another thing. I think after I tell you that it's the best show on TV and Abigail Spencer's in it, you should probably watch it. And if you're not watching it, then I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. Let's let's, let's assume that somebody doesn't know who Abigail Spencer is. Well, I've made an argument that is based mostly in personality and charm and just inherent attractiveness. Like, no matter who you are and how you feel, you will be attracted to this person in the sense of, I want to watch this person for a plethora of reasons. Well, I'm going to to catch you there, Ben, because if we're just judging a if we're just judging a show based on the attractiveness and charisma charisma of its cast, then I would have convinced you to watch a lot more CW shows than you have. Well, no, that's not entirely true because they lack a very huge portion of charisma. And by attractiveness, I'm not strictly speaking of the physical qualities that Abigail Spencer holds on. I'm speaking of every literal thing that attracts you to watch a show she has. She's got it all. So I'm going to make a different argument. Okay. I'm going to make an intellectual argument. I'm going to make an argument that is tied very specifically to these times. Oh, these times. We're, we're not very happy no. in 2016. It's been a shit year. We yeah. want it to end, right, yeah. everybody? Well, I mean, the only reason I don't want it to end is I don't think 2017 is going to be any better. Well, that's not true, Liz, because we get the leftovers in 2017. But <laughs> one of the problems with 2016 was there seems to be a very big disconnect between bubbles of people. Hmm. you are getting isolated in your bubble. You are only talking to people who have the same thoughts as you. You're only reading the things online that are going to complement your thoughts, you know, predestined before you pick them up. You're only, you know, following people on Twitter. You're only following people on Facebook. You're only engaging in those areas. You're only traveling to certain areas. You're only doing certain things that fit the things that you're comfortable fitting in. And somehow that created such a massive disconnect that, a wide swath of America that still is out there and still matters made a decision that a lot of us aren't very happy with. And it's not just them. It's a lot of different people. But the important thing to think about is no one should be boxed off and no one should be put into a box. You need to think about people as people and you need to identify with them as such and you need to try to understand the other side. And I'm not saying that the people of Rectify are Republicans. I'm not saying that the people of Rectify are Trump supporters. I don't think they are. I think Daniel Holden would have been, would have loved to talk to Daniel Holden about who he voted for in the election, but it would have been a fascinating conversation to have. I know Amantha, a.k.a. Abigail Spencer's character, is a pretty awesome liberal, and her mom, debatable dad. Anyway, getting uh, off what track. What state is this set in again? Uh, Georgia and now Tennessee. Um, yeah, what color do those states turn? They turn red, but you have to understand, Liz, Again, you're doing the problem. You're trying to box no, them I mean, into a, a certain category. I am. I am. I'm playing into that a bit. Yes, but also I'm. I'm. It's not even necessarily that I'm arguing against this point of like understanding people and where they come from. Except for, of course, is if if, if but only under the impression that they are genuinely genuinely good people who are worth getting to know and understanding, just even from a different perspective. I'm not arguing against any of that. Um, Here's my, I mean, it's a lovely point you're making, and it really, it really is. Um, and you, I feel like you might have a little bit more to it. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, I do, a little bit. Okay, go. Um, the end point being what you see in Rectify breaks down these barriers in a very beautiful, simple, understated way. It speaks to the mentality of people the raw emotions of people, the needs of people. It speaks to who we are as human beings all the way down to the core. And it deals with memories. It deals with nostalgia. It deals with a lot of things that that are common amongst all of us. And it deals with them in a very 
almost hypnotic way where you're just kind of sucked into that. But to finish the point, I'm going to read a statement from Ray McKinnon when I last interviewed him in which the creator of the show said why or what he hoped people were left with when the show was over. And he said, I think we live in a world where we tend to put people in boxes. We're not looking at each other's humanity enough. And Rectify, hopefully, has allowed people to look at a group of small town people in a more complex way than they're often portrayed. And that is very important. It is arguably all of our duty to try to understand the people that we are not. And this show provides that opportunity for a lot of people. You know, I'm going to make a point here, which which involves you looking at our time code right now. And Ben, approximately how long have we been talking? Um, 12 minutes. We've been talking 12 minutes. Let's say approximately eight of it was completely devoted to Rectify. Ben, what's Rectify about? Rectify is about a man who was sent to prison and then released based on DNA evidence that is inconclusive. Okay. I feel like that's I feel like that's a the fact that the premise the premise is I think an issue with the show and Why? not just because I mean the fact is like we talk about the show in these grandiose terms we talk about it being the best show on television and I fully respect that but at the end of the day I feel like a lot of people coming to the show just don't know what they're watching how it's it's laid out immediately in the pilot episode yeah but the pilot what what is the what is the and then I don't understand. Like, what happens next? Man, uh, man, man in prison gets released from prison because of DNA evidence. That is literally how you just laid out the pilot, correct? That's how the that's the premise of the show. You're asking me to explain the show. I'm not going to spoil things in the show, but I'm there's, a, there's well, a very you have to understand that within that plot there is an inherent family drama in which he's trying to reincorporate himself. There we go. Home. This is what I'm asking for. I, I, this is what I want to know. You're getting spoiled of things that are going to happen. This is that this he's is, it's a family drama that he's getting reincorporated into his family. You know all of these things. These I, things I, are all readily available. We're talking to people who at least have read the synopsis of this series and should understand what they're getting into as soon as they start it up. And if they've never started it up, then not only have they heard that it's the best show on TV, not only have they read the synopsis, not only do they are they aware of some of the actors who are within it who have gotten an immense amount of praise, which still bothers me that friggin' Aiden Young hasn't got an Emmy nomination. Just insane. But they, they you're fairly aware of what's going on here. If you don't know the plot, it's very easy to look up the plot. And when people talk about it, it's important to talk about it in, in what the show defines itself as, what the broader terms of it are and what the what the real hooks and real gist of it become. Like you don't want to just boilerplate it. You don't want to say you don't want to break it down season by season and say these are the twists and these are what's happening next. But if somebody is being released from prison and he's trying to reincorporate himself into society, then you can kind of imagine what's going to happen from there. And if you can't imagine it, then that should be the hook of why you watch the show. Well, I feel like the point I'm trying to make, I'm trying to play kind of a role here of not just of the, because I, I have seen some Rectify. I, I've, ne- I've always felt really bad about never going back, but I'm trying to take the position here of the person who's never watched Rectify, doesn't care about Rectify, is like, why is this show on all the critics' lists? Why does it exist? Why does it happen? I'm I'm devil's advocating here on a level I didn't expect to, and I apologize for that. Because well, I just wanted to hear the I wanted to hear a response to the point that I made before. I want to hear why it's not important for you or anyone to be engaging in a show that depicts a certain group of people that we like to put into a box and think of as in very small, minute details and kind of disregard in a more complex manner. Why isn't that important? 
Well, I think I want to know what the name of the group is. What what do you, what, when we talk, just like any group of people generically in the world? Because if you tell me I want to understand the viewpoints of neo-Nazis, I'm going to tell you I already watched American History X and I didn't care for it. Actually, that movie had some good points. Point, good parts. There were some good elements to that movie. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, it was a, not a joke. It was a joke that didn't work. I'm just saying, like, what is, when you say, you're just talking in general terms about a group of people. Like, tell me, give me specifics. We we did. I, I'm very lost now because we we leading into the whole the, the whole point that I made was was talking about Georgian Georgia Middle America small town sh- people. Right. Okay. Small town people. That's what I'm looking for. That was literally part of the quote that McKinnon said. Yeah, and it's part buried. of the lead up. It was buried. I disagree. Well, okay. I apologize. If you've got the details, which now you have, yeah, counter it. I mean, I think that the answer to the question is. The answer to the question, I mean, it's, no, it's a legitimately interesting question because I don't have an argument against it. There's plenty of shows about small town life I love. Um, Friday Night Lights. What? Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights, Parks and Recreation. I am not one to dispute the value of, you know, you know, small town life. And I, you know, freaking the Gilmore Girls really charmed me in that respect. Yeah. I mean, and I know you have, I feel, I know this is a very personal subject for you. Um. And it sounds, so it sounds like something I immediately discount, but it's also something I don't feel like an utter craving for. Like, I don't feel like there's a deep need in my life to understand the value of small town life. Mm, that's strange, but I guess we can try to move on. We've made a point about the natural charisma of some of the actors that would lure you in to just have a sense of watchability and why yeah. you want to watch it. And I co-sign We've that, We've made totally. a broader argument about the deeper meaning of why now is a good time to be digging into Rectify, which... Again, I feel very strongly about, and I, it is a personal topic for me, but it's also a very important thing, obviously, to the creator of the show, which I think speaks largely to why it needs to be paid attention to. Um, beyond that, I think if you are a film fan at all, if you are a fan of, of formalities, of, of production, of kind of the, the sheer beauty of watching television uh, when you can sit back and admire it for what it is, I think that all of that is done to the highest degree possible in Rectify. There are certain shots within Rectify that you could just hang on the wall and let live. Like, it would be a beautiful thing to stare at. It would be a beautiful thing to hold on to for the entirety of your life. And the beautiful thing about it more so is that when you're seeing them, it actually invites you to kind of participate in a way that the characters are participating in, in which, again, like I mentioned how it's kind of hypnotic, but it's it's something that you can kind of live in in your own head. You can kind of sit there and think about things not only as they apply to the characters, but as they apply to yourself. It invites you to kind of reframe your perspective. And in doing that, again, getting back to the high quality of the production, the pacing of it is very unique. The editing of it is very unique. The structuring of it is very unique. They've actually been bouncing around. (laughs) They've only had two seasons that were the same length. The first season was six episodes. Second season was, I believe, 12, 10 or 12. The third season was back to six, and then the final season is at eight. So there's only, I mean, they really are trying to fit the story, Fit the, fit the episode count, fit the length to the story they want to tell. And it's it's very admirable to watch that happen. And if you have any sort of interest in kind of, it, whether you just want to admire it, whether you want to learn from it, the production of this is something to study and to sit back and just enjoy. That's a very good point. Um, I'm going to say something very much from the devil's advocate character I'm playing 
point of view and not as actual Liz, okay? So please don't get super mad at me. I can't promise anything. What do you say to those who might say that the show kind of sounds like a bummer and they want to watch something fun? Uh, I'd say that if you only ever want to watch something fun, if that's all you're looking for from your television entertainment, then I have very little time to talk to you. Like, that's you're not a person that I want to spend a lot of time with because I don't feel like you want to talk about anything serious at all. Television is a perfect gateway to actually have legitimate conversations with real people. Right. You don't want to do small talk. You don't want to just kind of sit back and laugh. There's times for that, and there's there should be a lot of time for that. You want that kind of joy in your life. But Rectify will bring that to you on like a deeper level. It will take that to the extreme. And I understand if you're in the mood to just sit back and click on Parks and Rec. We all are from time to time. That's fine. But, you know, before you go turn on the next episode of Westworld, before you dig into any number of dramas that are out there right now, it's important that you visit Rectify first. It's important that you try that out. It, if It's important that if you are in the mood for something more serious and you want to dismiss Rectify, that you don't do that because of the aforementioned reasons. I don't think there's a lot of people who only watch TV for fun. And by that, I mean the people who would consider listening to this podcast or who would ever read IndieWire. And we like you guys. Believe us. There's plenty of people who turn on the Big Bang Theory every week, and that's the pinnacle of their week, and that's fine. But I feel like there's, it's also, speaking of boxes, there are people who might turn on the Big Bang Theory every week who might also really enjoy Rectify. Like, it's, 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 it's not, like, we're not trying to say, like, there's two types of people. No, I'm not saying, uh, that's, that's kind of the point. I don't like the idea of, (laughs) of Rectify as only a critic show. It's not something that you have to have an MA or, or, you know, a a psychology degree to appreciate. Like, there is so much within this show to really relish, um, Hell, if you watch, if you're stuck on Lethal Weapon right now, you should probably go back and see where Clayne Crawford came from because he does some incredible work on Rectify, and he's got one of the better arcs because his character starts in a position of pure hatred, like you really don't like this guy, right? And he really kind of turns it around over the course of this series. So again, like I, I completely agree, it's a great point to make that uh, you know you you don't want to assign anybody anything, and. To those who just aren't in the mood for something serious at the moment, fine. But when the next moment comes, that's when you should be flipping on Rectify. And I think that's, I think honestly, if I was to point to anything that that has held Rectify back and, you know, kind of becoming a part of the national conversation, I feel like it is part of this, like, the, the it you know, I know you don't like the perception that it's a critic's show, but I feel like there is that perception. And I feel like part of it is, like, you know, just telling people it's the best show on TV, like, you know, I mean, I feel like the, I feel like, and I think when we talk about stuff being the best on TV, that's when the next layer comes of describing and discussing, like, you know, what the show's about and what it does. And a show I've been thinking about in this conversation is The Americans, which is a show you deeply care about, is a show that's very rich with themes and characters and drama. But I'm thinking about the pilot, like the pilot is also like a really engaging spy thriller. And admittedly, like they start with that place and then they build upon it. And it's a much it's a much deeper show than just like hot spy action, um, even though it's really well executed hot spy action. Um, but I feel like, you know, I feel like especially especially in any sort of in any sort of medium that has populist angles, like you need like the hook, you need the, you know, not the hook, but like 
like the trap door or something like that snares people. And I wonder if rect. I mean, the thing I've always admired about Rectify is that it's never done that. It's never tried to be anything more than exactly what it is. And what it is is a very smart, very sincere drama. Um, but I always wondered, like, what if there had been the thing? I mean, that's an interesting point to make. I, I don't know if I agree with the idea that simply drumming people on the head with this is the best show on TV or one of the best shows on TV reduces anything behind it. Because, again, if you're talking about it in that sense and people actually read, you know, the top ten list or, you know, again, they read any of the reviews, they read anything about this at all, they, they, they listen to anything about this at all, it's never just that quote. Those are the quotes that pop up in the trailer. Those are the quotes that pop up on the posters, and that's all well and good. Sundance TV needs it. Um, but what's interesting to me about the way you describe it as, as not having a hook is maybe it was ahead of its time in the sense that this is like a fictionalized true crime story. This is something that there the you go. Love, the people who liked making a murderer, who liked, uh, who, I mean, uh, you know, well before the night of even. like I mean, people who like these kind of shows – um, should really enjoy watching Rectify from a sense that they're getting the behind the scenes that they don't necessarily get in these documentaries. Um, but even more so, what's interesting to me about kind of talking about the initial hook of it or that kind of initial drive to keep watching or, or you know, as, as you described it, when McKinnon talked about creating the show, he didn't think that there was a space for it on TV until... He saw Mad Men. Hmm. And when he saw Mad Men, he thought, wow, I really think there's something here for me. Like, I really think I could maybe make this show and people would watch it. Or it would at least, you know, get produced and and get put out there. Um, Sundance TV has done such an incredible job making this available. That's why we're talking to you now about it. Because it's on Netflix. You could watch it all this weekend. Exactly. If it was just on Sundance TV, then... I'd probably be a little quieter because I know not everybody's got cable. Sundance TV doesn't necessarily have, uh, or I should say they don't have an over-the-top service in which you can just subscribe to Sundance TV and watch online or whatever you want to do. Um, But you have in your back pocket at all times one of the better shows out there. And as it's getting ready to wrap up, all of these elements are coming together. And (laughs) for me, I... I feel like, Liz, one of the things you could do if you wanted to really trick people, and, and, and one of the things that you might have been alluding to in your sense that they never went there, this is a show that presents the idea that Daniel Holden, its main character, who was convicted and spent 18 years in prison on death row and then released, he doesn't know if he killed the girl. Hmm. And no one can prove that he killed the girl. I and didn't know. I didn't know he didn't know. He doesn't know. Yeah, he doesn't remember. I mean, I, I, was, I, I probably, I did watch the pilot, but in, it's that's in the pilot, I'm sure. I'm just re- blanking on that memory. And this is kind of the tricky thing about it. We're not guaranteed that we're ever going to find out. It's a lot like The Leftovers in the sense that <laughs> you're never going to know where the 2% of the population goes. That's not the important thing about the show. So we could have, Sunday's TV, everybody, we could have been lying to you and just said, hey, you know, it's a big mystery. We, we've been waiting four years to find out if Daniel did it or he didn't do it and who did do it, and we're going to see that, and it's going to be great. And honestly, so far in the season, they've, they've addressed this question much more than I expected them to. At the TCAs, when they were talking about it, they kind of shrugged off the idea that we were going to give you a definitive answer as to what happened, and now it almost feels like it should be coming. Um, that being said, I'm, ne- I'm never going to sell it that way because that's not what's going to keep you hooked on the show. 
uh, throughout, and it's not something they deal with aggressively episode to episode. But I mean, I think the, the, the if key, you want to look for it, the key word in what you just said there was keep you hooked. The point is to get you hooked. Um, but that's nitpicky. It should have done that. Yeah, but honestly, what you're reminding me of, and now I feel like a real dum-dum, um, because I feel like this is actually something we talked about on this podcast in its very early days. Um, oh, you mean like 90 episodes ago, Liz? Yeah, only nine episodes away from 100. Wow, man. If we get to 100, we're like a cake. Yeah, what if we had cake? Um, <laughs> this commercial message brought to you by cake. Maybe we should take... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt your interrupt your point. I'm very eager to hear it, but maybe we should take an informal poll. Like I can put it in the next article, or yeah. you guys can email us. Like if we get a cake, we will talk about this, or Ben will stop talking about this. Like for for however long we deem possible. You realize that there will be either a groundswell of Ben talks about the leftovers forever. Oh, well, the, it's interesting. Somebody reached out to me on Twitter for the first time recently and asked me to stop talking about it. <laughs> and obviously and that, made, that only made you stronger. Yeah, I'm never going to do that. I, I get at least five more tweets telling me to keep talking about it. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, anyway, back to your point. Back to my point. Uh, but in the early days of this podcast, I think we did an episode that was just about unconventional promotional methods. And one of the things, and this was also like in the height of the first season of Serial. And Sundance TV did this brilliant thing where they released a special like podcast, oh, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a 20-minute serial style, style basically recap of Daniel's story. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Um, and I, because I, I listened to it, I was like, and I'm not a true crime fan, which is, uh, I think, perhaps another issue I personally have. Um, but, you know, listening to that podcast, I was like, this is really interesting. Like, the, the facts are here. And it, I think it did include spoilers, but in hooking people on shows, I think spoilers are sometimes, like, ne- essential. Like, you don't want to spoil the biggest twists. But, for example, I'm trying to get you hooked on Buffy, and I've very carefully chosen a series of episodes that will not leave you spoiler-free. Like, there were things you will know about Ooh. the... You will, there are things you will learn about the series and the characters um, in terms of the show because you're going to watch through season... The, the episodes take you through season four. But it's only five episodes, and all of them dodge, like, the biggest plot arcs. So the biggest shocks of the series are probably going to be safe for you. And... Um, but the point is, like to get you excited about it. And sometimes that involves revealing more details than necessary, not necessary, but that you would normally do if the show was an easy sell. Like, you know, you know, the next time Peter Berg directs a TV show, you know you're on board. I don't have to tell you anything. Your face just lit up when I said Peter Berg directs a pilot. In fact, I tested this. It doesn't have to be a pilot. Yeah. Next time Peter Berg directs a thing, you're excited. Fact. Um, But if, there, it's not a name like that attached, or there's not a immediate, obvious, exciting angle to it, which is, you know, the vast why the vast majority of broadcast television these days is remakes and reboots and familiar names. And Ben made a sad face just then. Gross face. Um, but the lethal weapon is charming. Yeah. The point is, uh, point is that this is a. I feel like this has been a really interesting conversation that I didn't mean to take this direction. Yeah, we were going to talk a lot about Netflix shows, but they don't really matter. I mean, there's some interesting stuff coming up. And I think one thing we want to talk about in future weeks Mm -hmm. is the kind of buried Netflix shows, especially the buried Netflix shows that Netflix is releasing brand new that 
no one finds out about because they don't promote them. And then we watch them and review them, and everyone's like, oh, hey, this show sounds great. Um, mm, not every time. Like, Pacific Heat's pretty terrible. Yeah, people don't watch don't watch Pacific Heat. But if you like dystopian thrillers, 3%'s fun. Yeah, that's catching on quick. Yeah, and it's because Netflix buries these shows. And that one they did even they did a little bit more than some They actually of the released other ones. a trailer yeah, for that there one. There was a trailer for it and there was a little bit of hype, but Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like we're talking about shows that have like we're talking about so much television, as you all know. Um, but like even shows with an easy hook, like um, coming out coming out at the ninth, as you listen to so last Friday, you might have binged it this weekend. Who knows? Um, is the show Medici? Uh, it has it Medici Masters of Florence. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and it was uh, created by Frank Spotnitz from the X Files and Nicholas Meyer, who freaking directed the Wrath of Khan people. And it stars freaking Dustin Hoffman. And uh, Netflix hasn't even put out a trailer. Take note that Liz Shannon Miller just put a stronger emphasis on the two people who have nothing to do with the X-Files than the one who did. I feel like that's important. Wait, what? You you said Frank oh. Spotness who created the X-Files, but then you put the emphasis on the guy who directed The Wrath of Khan and the other guy who was in Rain Man. Well, Frank Spotness isn't... It, actually, Frank Spotness is a great guy. Like, he's a very smart writer. I'm not questioning that. I just... Oh. Typically, the X-Files is what excites you the most. It is typically. But, you know... I, I was trying. I was trying to be egalitarian, Ben. I try to spread my love, <laughs> and also I feel like people are much more excited about the wrath of Khan and Dustin Hoffman than the X Files. Tragically, though, it may be to me. Well, spread your freaking love to rectify and catch up over the weekend, Elizabeth. I, I will try to finish the first season if I have time this weekend. It's only like four and a half hours. Yeah, I know. I feel like that's a reasonable goal. Yeah. Yeah. See, I. Because you know what, Ben? By sitting with me and talking with me, you convinced me. God, I hope I convinced other people. We, we, well, actually, let us know. That's our question of the week. Did Ben successfully convince you to watch Rectify if you hadn't already? And if you had watched Rectify already, please write in. Please don't use too many mean words to describe me and my ignorance. We all, we all have a lot of TV to watch. We all have a lot to learn. Well, this means I can make another list. I can have a list. I have my list of people I converted oh, into leftovers, no. and then I can have a list of the people I've converted to Rectify. That would make me pretty count. happy. I still don't count as a person on your left, leftovers list. Yes, you do. No. You do, though. No. Absolutely. No. Nope. There's no arguing this. There's literally <laughs> not a case to be made. But, Elizabeth. Yes, Benjamin. What was the best thing you watched last week? Um, so I did some catch up uh, a couple for over the last couple of nights on a few random shows uh, that I would really enjoyed but kind of hadn't been following on, like on a must watch every week basis, and I was very pleasantly surprised by how MTV's Mary and Jane wrapped up. This is a show that I've never tried to really push it on anyone just because I feel like all the elements of it that I find really charming and addictive aren't necessarily elements that will appeal to everyone. Like, I don't think it's a universal crowd pleaser, but I think if you, basically, first things first, if you watch the cult hit Josie and the Pussycats uh, from 2000, it's written and directed by the same people, and you can tell, and it's great. And it does the same kind of skewering of youth culture in kind of a very sweet and also knowing way. Um, If you like pot comedy, it's very good. And the finale ended really strongly with a really interesting kind of kickoff point, and... Uh, I'm 
I'm just going to say a few surprises, including a surprise cameo that was not really a surprise cameo at all if you knew who executive produced the show. Oh. Um, I got it. Yeah, you figured it out. I figured it out. You are a detective. You were the truest detective. I mean, they did send me some socks, so I could probably watch that show. No, they sent you some socks because I gave you some socks. Oh, they sent you the socks? I, I, I brought the socks home from Snoop's house. I've already forgotten how I got the socks. Ah, Kevin Brain. Yeah. All right. Ben, what was the best thing you watched? Um, The best thing I watched was not necessarily the best thing in general, but it was probably the best thing I watched. Um, I watched the South Park finale of season mm. 20 as I'm speaking last night, as you're listening last week. Um, and if anybody who's been keeping up with this even a slightest bit knows, it's been an interesting season. Um, they've continued on the path of serialization. They've tried to establish a fairly sweeping arc over the course of their 10 episodes, and they did their best to resolve it. It didn't fully work. It didn't wholly come together. Their points may have been a little softer or a little more ambiguous or a little just kind of scattershot over the course of this last half hour than they would have been otherwise. And the finale's title, which I believe is the end of serialization as we know it, or something to that effect, implies that they may be distancing themselves from this technique in the future. We may be going back to more traditional South Park episodes in the future in which they're episodic and they kind of just, you know, go after their points from week to week without having to worry about explaining anything or or continuing any stories. And it's... I liked the serialization. I thought it worked very well last season. I thought it was off to a strong start this year. I really feel like the Trump election threw them for a loop that they didn't know how to recover from, but that may or may not be the case. We don't really know. But the way they make the show, how long it takes them and how late in the game they have... How little time it takes them. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, That definitely lends itself more to an episodic structuring because it frees them up. But I liked what they were doing. I'm going to trust them no matter what. I feel like after 20 years, they're allowed a little bit of a misstep, and they still raised some good topics and parallels and and tied it up in an interesting way, at least with the Star Wars references. But more to the point, um, it's over, and we're going to see what happens next year. Yeah, I mean, I remember very keenly that in 2015, you and I had, we didn't, like, really have a huge fight over it, but you strongly campaigned for South Park to make our best of, our our top ten list, actually, our full-on top ten list. It was a great season last year. Beating the leftovers. Well, no, I didn't say that. That's insane. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Positive. But I think I think I think what you're saying is it, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I could see them just being like, "Yeah, we're good. They have they have their money. They made their nut. Like they don't need to. Work. Do they need to work this hard anymore? I don't feel like it really has anything to do with that. They've never they've never expressed a desire to make it easier on themselves, especially especially yes, with the construction of their serialized narratives, but. At the same time, I feel like maybe they've hit enough of a wall where they just they just know how they're most effective. And they know at this time they need to be at their peak. They don't want to be hindered by anything like anything like what has happened so far this year. Right. So we'll see what they do in the future. But I, I'm, it's still a great series. Everybody should be keeping up with it. I know it's been 20 years, guys, but they're, they're killing it. If you were to recommend one episode from this this season of South Park to be watched on its own, oh, if possible, oh, if it you, don't... I have to look it up. All right, 
I liked, I mean, the premiere was solid, but I feel like they had a better one after that. The member berries in the premiere was very, very I mean, good. I feel like that's probably a good place to start just because I think the member berries metaphor is so, is one I'm, I'm still seeing thrown around. Yeah, and they didn't really wrap that up last night, so I'll be curious if they incorporate that somehow into season 21. But member berries, <laughs> that is... That is one of their brilliant strokes. As uh, that is not quite on par with Principal PC from a couple years before, but uh, they can still churn them out when they need to. Interesting, um, Elizabeth. Yes. Next thing you're looking forward to, hit me. Well, I'm looking forward to one thing that no one can watch, and then one thing a lot of people will be able to watch. Um, I am looking forward to in the next few days getting to watch you watch Lee Daniels star for review. Good God. I, I I can't tell you how excited I am. Liz has seen it. I've seen it. I know. Other people in the office have seen it. Yeah. Everyone is warning me about this. Yeah. No, not me. Ben, you should watch it immediately. Mm, I, I In the office while I'm around. I make an argument that aside from perhaps the glorious clusterfuck that is the paperboy, Lee Daniels has never made a good film. So the idea that... But he's made a range of films from bad to least bad. Like, you put the Paperboy on that list, on the, at the top of that, so. Yeah. But he's never made a good one. Right. So, I'm yeah. not excited for this. Okay. At all. No, I, I know you're not excited. I know, that's why you are excited. I mean, I just think you're going to have a really fun time being very mad at it. I think I'll just be mad. Yeah, that's probably true. But the thing I am looking forward to is uh, when critics get screeners, friends, uh, sometimes they get the full season of a television show, and that's lovely. It's a beautiful gift from the networks to us. Sometimes we only get half the season, and sometimes that season ends on a pretty dramatic cliffhanger. And sometimes that very dramatic cliffhanger could either go completely topside or be a really groundbreaking moment for the show. Point is... I am looking forward to eventually getting to finish watching Man in the High Castle Season 2. Um, I've seen half the season, and there's a lot of well-developed stuff in there, but in re-watching it for my review, which published uh, last Wednesday if you, as you listen to this, uh, I am concerned that I need to know more. Yep. Not concerned, just in, in, intrigued, invested. I yeah. care now. That's a good start. Yeah. Yeah, so Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Well, I mean, we just spent an entire episode talking about the finale of Rectify, so obviously that's my number one pick. Uh, aside from that, I think I'm going to stick with one that I've mentioned before. I'm very excited for the season finale of Divorce, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's HBO. But I'm, I'm, doesn't that, that, that aired last night as people listen to this? Correct. So um, you should you should have have it on your HBO Go now. Yeah, you can watch it as I'm speaking to you right now. I hope you've been keeping up with the season. Um it's, I still, it, if it's a black comedy, fine, you can call it a black comedy. I'm more comfortable calling it a drama with comedic elements, but whatever you want to label it as, it's a very intriguing show, and how they end this, especially knowing that they do have a season two renewal, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to be very curious, especially, yeah. uh, spoiler alert, Tracy Letts is getting a bigger role next year, so that's pretty cool. Very cool. What about Dean Winters? No comment. Oh, hey, dummy. Yeah. That's not good. He's, he wasn't in it, though, Liz. Oh, no. He's never been in it. Dean Winters? Yeah. He's the lawyer. Oh, shit, you're right. He is in it. <laughs> He's been in multiple episodes this yeah, season. Right. Yeah, unknown. No comment. Okay, hey, dummies. Yeah. 
We are, of course, referring to uh, the best boyfriend. The best boyfriend. Well, wait. I like him. I, I'm very fond of, uh, of good Lord, now I'm blanking on his name, Dennis Duffy um, from 30 Rock. Oh, best. I mean, favorite, maybe. Because, most entertaining. Because, yeah, we enjoy him the most. Yes. But he's far far from the best boyfriend of Liz. Well, he's far from, yes, far from, yes. Best is, well, best is a hard one. He's the best. He's one of the best characters. As oh, yes. ranked by Liz Shannon Miller on IndieWire.com. Yeah. Did I did I rank him over someone that you really pissed you off? I forget. You ranked him beneath a lot of people. Uh. It was just insane. <laughs> yeah, well, which is it? Are you in love with me or do you have squatters rights? Kind of. Oh, God, that line's so good. Yeah. Okay, Maybe sorry to talk. Him up. Sorry to talk about 30 Rock, but you can read that rambling thing about 30 Rock that I did, ranking the characters, as well as a whole bunch of other things, including... Then what are you going to – are you going to cap rectify review at 3,000 words or are you going to try to keep it at a cool 250? No cap. 250. No 250. cap. It might just be a running running analysis that just keeps going. Ben, you could do a live blog. I could. I could do the live blog for the six people who watch it live. But it could be seven if I convinced you. Yeah, so do remember to email Ben and Liz. That's Ben at IndieWire.com and Liz at IndieWire.com to talk to talk, tell us about your what, about your rectify status, if you will, um, and if you if, if perhaps even if you joined me in uh, trying to catch up with season one, which I realize you can't do this weekend because it's not the weekend anymore, but maybe you can do in the next couple weeks so you can talk about you can you know talk about it at, with your family at Christmas. Very important conversation. Very important. Uh, but more importantly, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Correct. We will be back next week. And as always, you guys, keep watching television. <laughs>